I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. is the music of Kajagugu, which features my guest today on the program, Lamal. Let me tell you a little bit about Kajagugu and Lamal. Okay, so aside from writing timeless literature, F. Scott Fitzgerald was right about a lot of things. He was right about a dark night of the soul always coming at three in the morning. He was right about action being character. And he was right about vitality showing not only in the ability to persist, but to start all over again. Well done, F. Scott. But in spite of being right about a lot of stuff, he was certainly wrong about at least one thing. No, not about marrying Zelda. That's terrible. He was wrong about the fact that in life, nobody gets a second act. I mean, look at John Travolta, Johnny Cash, Robert Downey Jr., Winona Ryder, Duran Duran, Shania Twain, and Martha Stewart. Second acts galore. They happen all the time. And another one is happening now. I'll get to that in a minute. Let's back up for a second. Kajagugu. I know you remember Kajagugu, and if you don't remember them, then I know for sure you've probably heard Too Shy or singer Lamal's solo hit Never Ending Story at one point in your life. For me, growing up in the 80s, Too Shy was everywhere all the time. And Lamal's haircut, a kind of postmodern parfait under new wave cool, remains one of the most everlasting images of the decade. A little background. Lamal and Kajagugu joined forces in 1981 after the band, who had been operating as Art Nouveau, ditched their singer and put an ad out for a new one. That new one was Lamal, an aspiring actor who was born for the stage and took to his new role with natural relish. With production touches by Duran Duran's Nick Rhodes, Too Shy became an instant smash, hitting the top of the UK charts in 1983. It was taken from the debut album White Feathers, and though it was only barely 35 minutes long, the album also spawned two more hits, Oodoo Be Ah and Hang On Now. But that was that for Lamal. That band seemed to have a penchant for sacking their singers. But anyway, that was it. 
He was fired from the band, and though they pressed on with limited success without him, they never really lived up to the promise of that first album, and their subsequent two records remain, well, I guess you could say listenable footnotes from 1984 and 1985. There's also a 2008 record called Gone to the Moon that was kind of interesting, but without Lamal in the lineup, it lacked the, well, I don't know, the Kaja, and it was just Goo Goo. Not bad, but it could have been so much better. Meanwhile, back to the 80s. Lamal also pressed on, and he hit hard with the never-ending story single, which hit number four in the UK, and he also logged a top 20 UK single with Only For Love. But his debut solo album, Don't Suppose, though it hit number one in Norway, didn't make much of an impression in the UK. He put out two more solo albums, and then that was kind of it. There were reunions with Kajagugu, like for VH1's Bands Reunited, and they played music festivals all around Europe. Lamal appeared on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. He put out a single called 1983 in 2012. And over the years, he's kept up a pretty healthy touring schedule, taking part in huge 80s retro gigs that have found him all over Australia, Japan, and Europe. All right, you're up to date. Let's go back to the second act thing I was talking about. Because the never-ending story has shown up in Stranger Things and Lamal and Kajagugu showed up in American Horror Story, a whole new audience has been introduced to Lamal's music, while at the same time, those who always knew his music still hold it dear to their new wave hearts. So, if ever a comeback was set to happen for Lamal, the time is now. Think of it as a kind of musical Christmas wish. And speaking of Christmas... Lamal's first new single is a Christmas number. Titled London for Christmas, it's an instant holiday classic. A smooth and festive holiday ballad. It's a string-laden, hook-filled number that's punctuated by glittering piano and an unforgettable chorus. Talk about finishing the year with a flourish. This is a gem, and so is Lamal. We talk about it all here, and I have to say, this is by far one of my favorite conversations I've ever had. You're going to love it, and you're going to love Lamal. So sit back and have a listen. This is me and Lamal having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. I did it. I did a, one of those retro tours last year of the States. Yeah. And I was near San Francisco and I got the taxi to take me to the Golden Gate Bridge and then it was foggy. I was furious. <laughs> <laughs> That's about right, Lamal. That's how it goes. Um, it's fascinating that sort of um, environment there with the fog. And of course, I remember it in that beautiful song by Tony Bennett The morning fog will. Uh, what is it? Something? The air? I don't yeah. care. The morning fog will what the air, does he say? You know, I Remember? should know that, shouldn't I? You should know that. I should know that. The, the um, morning fog will... Uh, oh, I'm going to Google it right now. Hold, <laughs> hold, hold on a minute. Uh, um, so, Tony... Yeah, let's do it Bennett. together here. Uh, um, I left my heart. Oh, yeah. The morning fog may chill the air. I don't care. That's it. May chill the air. That's what I couldn't think of. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I love that song. 
I do too. And you know, what's funny about San Francisco is that even if you're there in May or June or July, you'll get the morning fog. Right, right. And what, what causes it? You know, I think it's a proximity to the ocean. Okay. Right. So it's that. And, and it's it, the uh, hills as well. You've got the hills, haven't you? You're quite yeah. hilly. Yeah, it's quite hilly, um, but beautiful. And then it burns off and, and then there's the city. Yeah, I remember the taxi driver complaining to me about how expensive it was in San Francisco. And I said, well, then London's exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to even afford to live adjacent to it anymore. Wow. I know, Crazy. I know. And I know that you, you like songs that mention the names of places and, uh, you know, cities and countries. And I was thinking about that. And I think I do, too. I never realized it, but I, I actually have always been partial to that myself. Yeah, I think it's the Sagittarian in me, because um, when, we, when, we, when I was a kid and my parents saved all year to go for this, like, two-week holiday down to the south coast of the UK, I, everybody fell asleep in the car except me. I was just so excited reading all these place names that we were passing. And we went for, like, seven years in a row to this a beautiful part of the UK called Cornwall, uh, which sort of sticks out at the bottom and has got beautiful coasts. I mean, you know, the UK is this tiny island. We're all coasts, but that southwest coast gets the best weather as well. And um, you get lots of surfers down there. And uh, I used to I used to memorize all these places. And by the seventh year, <laughs> I knew what was coming next. <laughs> <laughs> Well, aren't Sagittarians by nature adventurous? Absolutely, yeah. And I have certainly travelled. <laughs> yeah, I've been around. I've been around the world uh, twice at least. Um, literally, you know, I've done the Australia to LA, stopping at Miami. Uh, not Miami, Hawaii on the way. Um, so I've done the whole skaboodle. Thankfully, the the flight times are getting shorter, but of course now we're not supposed to fly because it's uh, it's screwing up the planet. So we can't win. No, you can't win. <laughs> Where have you not <laughs> been that you'd like to go? I would do it all again because it's a different eye, a different perspective. I did it all at 22, 23, 24, 25. Now I'm... <clears throat> A little bit older. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I see things very differently. I'm interested in different things. I'm absolutely wild for architecture and history. And so if I could do it all again, and I'll just visit all the museums of the world and, you know, um, take lots of selfies, of course. Well, sure, of course. <laughs> I think when you're younger and you travel, you think, where is the party in this region of the world? Exactly. You right? got it in one. But that is part of the fun of youth. That kind of, okay, I'm, I'm away from parents who gave me rules, rules, rules. I'm away from school that gave me rules, rules, rules. And I'm out in the big world and I just want to have fun. I don't want to think about politics. You know, I think that was the majority of us anyway. Um, and certainly for me, it felt like that. And of course, you know, being a famous pop star at the time, the invitations came. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I'm sure they did. Um, they did. 
you don't seem like you have a lot of regrets. I'll, I'll bet you, I'll bet you, you know, took people up on every invitation you could because it was like, here you are, you're young, you're around the world. I mean, I, you know, it, my background was a working class town in government housing in a small town in the north of the UK near Manchester. Called, it was between Manchester and Liverpool. It was a little town called Wigan. And um, I'll tell you who's from also from Wigan, or very near Wigan, is the actor Ian McKellen. Ah. Actually. Um, but uh, Wigan was, is very, still is very working class. My dad was a miner. Horrible job. Going down in that lift, covered, coming home covered in dust. It was not what I wanted to do. I was scared that I would have to do that. But um, so because of my background, everything that really happened, even arriving in London seemed like um, I'd arrived on another planet when I was 18. But you were you were always thinking about the arts. I mean, I know you're, you're doing some theater now, but weren't you early on kind of headed towards the theater? Oh, I did. I did theater. I started in theater. Right. So um, basically, I was a... I was the crazy guy at the back of the class at school listening to music when I should have been studying. <laughs> I remember I had this tiny radio that worked off a battery and it and you'd put this like one earpiece in one ear. It was mono. And I'd, I'd be listening to, you know, whatever songs were on the radio, escaping. And uh, then I, of course, as a kid, I got the part-time jobs. It was either delivering papers or delivering bread or doing gardening. And I'd save all my money. And I'd, I'd go to the local record store, incredibly excited. Walking in there was just like this emporium of excitement for me. Oh, my God, what record am I going to buy this week? And it was just saving up for that 45. That's all I could afford. And... Um, I I bought Motown. Eventually, I started getting into Motown albums, and the Motown records were huge in the UK. And then I just thought, I want to be involved in music. I don't care what I do. I do not want to go down those mines. I, I want to, because people are making this music, so that must be a job, you know. And then um, at the local youth club, which was I think I went to twice a week. I sort of commandeered the record player and everybody kind of knew, well, you know, Chris, my real name, Chris will deal with that. Um, and I would, because I, I was the guy who turned up with the records and sometimes I borrowed records from friends. So it was all music, music, music. And, um, and that's really how it all started. Uh, I went in a pub. I remember it was like 17 I uh, had this really fun atmosphere and um, I met this girl and told her uh, that I was, uh, I wanted to be a singer and she introduced me to this agent and she was a friend of the girl that was singing on stage. It's always a friend of a friend, isn't it? Always. And then, um, yeah. And then I, I met this agent, I auditioned for something in theater and the next thing I'm, I was touring in Josephine, The Amazing Dreamcoat. Then I did um, a season of Godspell, which was one of the first original hits by Stephen Schwartz, the writer of Wicked, which we all know now. 
Right. Yeah. So it was all of that happened before Kajagugu. And so it always tickled me when the media said that Kajagugu were an overnight sensation. <laughs> and I thought to myself, <laughs> didn't feel like overnight to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you've been you've been laying the groundwork for a while. Absolutely. Making lots of mistakes that were thankfully out of the public eye. <laughs> well, I mean, like something like Joseph is such a great, great musical. Great songs, great energy. What a dynamic production that is. When you were doing it, did you think like, okay, there, there's no turning back. I love this. Well, the first thing that I thought was, my God. I'm being paid to sing. I right. mean, to me, that was such progress. I'm actually being paid. I think it was like 90 pound a week. I was about a month. I can't remember. But it's 90, if we're going back to 1979, um, it felt like a lot of money. And the idea that I had a contract and was actually being paid to sing, I mean, to me, that was huge. It represented, because, uh, you know, when you first start out, you're the one doing the paying. You're paying for all your tuition. You're paying for your travel. You're, you're just throwing everything you can at trying to make this life for yourself. So um, that was the excitement. But, of course, when you got out there and, and you realize that you're part of something that makes people feel good. That's that I'm doing that for a living and people like this. And that, that's just a, a privilege, really. It really is. When did you realize, okay, I'm not going to have to go down into the mines. I can, I can leave that anxiety behind. Oh, the minute I left Wigan. And I left Wigan at 16 because my dad was a bit of a bully. He was a bit of an alcoholic. And um, I remember I had a big fight with him. And I thought, right, as soon as I get my first week's wage from the bread factory, where I had a job, I'm off. And that was it, I was gone. I ran away from home at 16. I went to the next town, I found a job, met, made some new friends, and eventually sort of found my way to London. Was your mother supportive of you leaving and getting into the arts? At least, did you have any support from her? I didn't tell them. I disappeared for a year, <laughs> and I, I heard that they were terribly worried. And of course, now that I'm older, I realize I shouldn't have done that. But it was that, you know, that rebellious teenage thing. I'll show them that I can be independent. Little did I know, of course. I mean, I, I think I would have, I would have absolutely kept in touch with my mum because we were so close. Mum was my rock and still is, by the way. I, learned, I just saw her last week and um, she's an octogenarian now. She's fantastic. But um, yeah, uh, when I came back, got about a year later, got the biggest hug from mum. You know, she was in tears. Just, I think she was, and you know, I understand now. She was just so relieved that I was okay because parents are scared for their kids, and if they were scared then, imagine today. <laughs> I know, I know. And some of our younger listeners would think, well, they could have just FaceTimed. But, but those are the days where you really, it was a payphone in the middle of the night. I mean, you really couldn't stay in touch with people the way you can now. Oh, God, what a different world, you know. I, I, I mean, I, you speak to young people, and I, I told somebody, I went to see that film about Judy Garland, and they said, who's Judy Garland? <laughs> God. Or who, who's Princess Diana? You know, you think, oh. what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
you know, you and I are the same age, roughly. And I, I remember seeing you when I was a kid and I thought you had so much poise early on. Um, and was that from having done theater? I mean, of course, you know, having grown up in the early eighties and, um, my first exposure to you was obviously through the Two Shy video, but I remember thinking like you were a guy who seemed like out of the box, ready to go. Mm. I suppose there was some, you know, those theater performances gave me some training, but I can tell you now that I remember the first time the band came off, um, our first TV show was Top of the Pops, which is a big, it's like bandstand in America or something. And, and I came off and I said to the guy from the record company, taking us down there, I said to him, oh, I was rubbish. And, you know, I thought I'd done some wrong move or something over analytical, probably slightly insecure. It's very difficult for performers, I think, to ever feel 100% comfortable with what they've done, whether you're acting or singing or writing, you know, or, or drawing, you know, artists. I think it's very difficult. So it, I always say we're like the swan, we're, we're, we're elegant and um, we're elegant on top, um, moving gracefully and, and underneath we're paddling like crazy, you know, that's really how it is. And I've been, I admire the people who can just have no nerves and not worry, but I don't think there's that many of them. Is it the condition of the artist, Lamal, to always be unsatisfied? In a way, yes. You know, you always feel like you can do that better mix. There are moments of, you know, I mean, talking about this single London for Christmas, um, there was a moment where we punched the air when we were working on the lyrics. So there are moments where you just think, ah, Maybe that's because I'm a bit more experienced now. But really, there's a lot of fumbling in the dark and stumbling on things and thinking, oh, that feels right. I hope it's right. You know, you seem like you're more creatively alive now than ever. And to me, that's really exciting. The fact that you are in such a creative moment um, in your life is incredibly inspiring to think that there's so much more work to be done. Well, that's interesting you should say that because I am so excited at the moment creatively because America has um, created a possible opportunity for me without me having done anything. It's one of the one of those really lucky serendipity moments with three big TV shows using my old music, giving it a new audience, giving it a new relevance. And so I felt that I could go Oh hey guys, I'm over here. Do you want to do you want to hear something else I'm working <laughs> on? <laughs> um, and hoping, you know, because you know it's a cruel world. People will say he or she is a has been um, and was relevant 35 years ago, and of course, nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, I haven't stopped performing for 20 years. You know, the 80s events across the world are huge. The 80s is, is so popular as a, for, for, for a certain demographic, you know, the people who grew up with it. And it takes them back to their childhood and it's their first dance at the wedding or it was their first holiday, it was their first kiss at school, whatever it was. And I know how important that is because I've got those songs that do that to me, mainly Motown records. And... Um, 
it's a it's a thrill to know that your music means something so never has been there's a wonderful i remember there was a wonderful album out called instead of one hit wonders which is a derogatory term um and then in the europe it isn't one hit for me anyway there were others of course never ending story was a massive hit and i know it's seeing a resurgence now and we can talk about that later but um so to me what sums it up wonderfully is instead of there was an album that was called not one hit wonders but it was one hit wonderful and i thought of course that's how it should be it should you know because there are certain songs i have on my you know i've one of the I'm, I'm on one of the streaming sites that i subscribe to um uh music sites and i've got like 500 and something favorite songs and some of them are from artists who only had one hit or maybe two hits but those songs are important you know and so it doesn't matter to me that it was one or two hits it it it's still relevant to a lot of people and uh and now suddenly here we are and i can't believe it i feel like i'm in my 20s again I love hearing that. And I love the idea because this, this show is really focused on the current creative moment. Um, because, you know, to me, it's really exciting to hear that you are brewing up new music, new plans, new ideas, um, you know, that you are more creatively vital um, than maybe you've ever been. Like maybe you feel more creative now than, than ever. To me, that's incredibly exciting. Well, the, it's the perspective you know, the perspective, I feel like I can say different things and they mean slightly different things. And um, I think writing songs is a bit like riding, learning to ride a bike or learning to swim. Once you've been through that process, you, you don't forget. And then, of course, like all creative people, I have started and not finished so many songs. They're all on the shelf in the, in the loft the attic. But um, what I did do that was wise on my part over the last um, couple of years, I have uh, recorded a few things just in case um, an opportunity came along and suddenly here we are. Um, and <laughs> I'm like a child again. I really am. Just yeah. smiling. I've got extra energy. Uh, so it's, and here I am talking to you guys. No, it's great. It's really great. It is great. And and I also, what I, all, I love about your career, Lamal, is that you, you know, there's a certain economy to your output where it seems like, and maybe there's a perfectionism with the way that you execute your art, but you never just put stuff out to put it out. It seems like there's always a level of quality and thought that you've put into your into your music. And so you weren't going to just put something out. Um, it seemed like it had to sort of pass muster with you. And so I, I love your body of work. I always have, because it feels very um, economical in terms of quality. Everything to me is just so high quality. Well, I haven't recorded anything for 20 years because the record industry was such that they wouldn't touch um, an older artist, a retro artist, unless, of course, you've been continuing continually in the public eye and you sort of evolved which we didn't do and so the internet has changed everything right. and social me social media has changed everything and gives 
an opportunity for people to have their own voice. You know, people are publishing their own works. You, the, you know, online is just changed everything. And it's because of that that I can now get my music out to the wider world. And I don't need EMI Records. I think if I had, for example, gone to my old label, EMI Records, it would have politely declined. Yeah, but they would have been wrong because you see that the fan base is, you know, they they want more. They they are very interested. Well, I think I think you know when you see the success of Netflix, for example, and the and the music streaming services, it proves that people want the right to make their own choice, and that, that supersedes all of the conglomerates, really. It, I want to watch what I want to watch, and it feels more special because you've paid for it. Um, and so that's what people are doing. They're making their choices, and that's slightly empowering. And that's where hopefully we come in, as I can go, hey guys, look, look what I've got, and let we we can all make a decision. And then of course, you know, um, live performance is so important now, and. Um, I can, you know, I can, I can take the music, the old music and the new music and take that into a live situation. And again, I didn't need the conglomerate to do that, but it will be interesting to see what happens over the next 12 months. Will my old label or indeed a new one come knocking and going, maybe we should be talking to this guy. I don't know. It's not what I'm hoping not what I'm planning, but it will be interesting to see. Because there wasn't interest or um, you couldn't get the music out, that must have been creatively frustrating for an artist who is born to create. So what I did was I, I became like the actor who goes on to direct or the footballer who goes on to become a football manager. I went into production. And so for about seven years, I was part of a production team called Jupiter. And we ran a recording studio in West London, Shepherd's Bush. And uh, we worked on various projects. I was doing 14 hours a day in the studio. So I was still being creative, but I was, I was behind the scenes. And I thought that would be my future. So, and of course, I'm writing songs every day. I'm learning production techniques. I'm making music. I'm listening. It's coming back at me through the speakers and I'm really enjoying myself. I've got a... I've got a routine. I'm I'm collaborating with my. I had a, you know, I worked with a a partner. We ran the studio. We were finding artists, and we had all these plans. And then, out of the blue, in 1997, a, a booking agent called, and he got in touch with me, and he said, "Um, we've got a small tour for you if you're interested. Um, they're doing 80s nights." So I thought. That's crazy, you know. What? I was not expecting that. And I went back to the studio and my keyboard player said, yeah, let's do it. It'll just be fun. And I thought it would last six months. And here I am, 20 years later, 22 years later. Wow. And I'm still, I'm still, you know. And now with this new interest um, in Too Shy and Never Ending Story, it just seems to get busier and busier. And it's really weird because two years ago, I told my accountant that I'm basically winding down a bit and I want to do less. 
And all that's happened is gone completely the other way. <laughs> I've never been busier. And hopefully your accountant will be busier as well. He will be busier. Yeah, absolutely. There's, no, no, he will be. I mean, the, the last two years have been more intense than ever. And, and I think part of that reason is also the internet. You know, it's so easy to access um, people now. You just hit their website. There's a contact page. Um, you know, it goes to management or whoever. And suddenly, uh, you know, you don't need that middleman. You're talking direct. And that's wonderful too. So, and the world's a big place. And Too Shy and Never Ending Story were both, I mean, I toured Australia three years ago with, um, it, was, it was all 80s acts. I was with Katrina and the Waves and Berlin, you know, who had the hit with um, You Take My Breath Away from Top Gun. Sure. Yeah. Um, and a Canadian act called uh, Safety oh, Dance. Uh, uh, Men Without hit. Hats. Men Without Hats. Men Without Hats, exactly, yeah. And Ivan is the singer. I remember Ivan, we had this cool guy. Uh, there was one other act, I'm trying to think who it is. But anyway, you know, suddenly I'm like in Australia, I was in Japan, then America. In 2020, I have no idea where I'm going to be, but it's very exciting thinking about it. I hope I'm going to be more in the States. It is great when you go to a country where they speak your language, you know, even if there's yeah. a few differences. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel artistically, do you feel a kind of limitlessness? Do you feel that the sky is, you can literally do anything now? Oh, I, I don't know. I'd be scared to say that. Um, tempting fate. Um, I, uh, I think, I think it's very difficult for songwriters today and producers to come up with anything new. I hear stuff on the radio and I turn it off. You know, every lyric's been written. Right. Surely every melody's been written. And so um, I ask myself, because the new work that I'll be presenting over the next six months, I'm very excited about it. I think nothing's really new, but you somehow, it's a bit like um, fashion comes around again, but it comes with a slightly new twist. So, you know, we've heard songs of lost love, found love, looking for love, um, you know, and everything else. Um, but somehow, if you really, you can be lucky and just, you know, you find you find an idea and it, bang, it's there. But I, most of the time you've got to dig really deep and put it in the tumble dryer and spin it around. Let's say the washing machine actually and, and spin it and see what comes out and swap this around. And You know, I think it's harder. I think people have to, I don't think it's that easy to just say I'm limitless artistically. Um, if you've got the time and the energy and you can, you can, you could, there's a good chance you've got a better chance, your odds are better at finding it. But I think you have to be that dedicated. The Christmas tree will be beautiful in Trafalgar Square. We'll do selfridges for shopping. And cocktails in Mayfair And you'll be looking pretty Through my camera lens 
As we hear the chimes of Big Ben from our boat trip on the Thames. London for Christmas, gotta be with you. London for Christmas, baby, just us two. December is that time of year when memories become souvenirs. London for Christmas with you. The weatherman says we are in for lots of snow. Let's take a taxi from our hotel. To catch that West End show, and later on a midnight spin on the London Eye. Then let's stay awake till the morning, watch the stars fall from the sky. London for Christmas, gotta be with you. London for Christmas, baby, just us two. December is that time of year when memories become souvenirs. London for Christmas with you. Suitcase packed and ready. Now, baby, picture us together at Christmas time. Melodies have been, all the, all the lyrics have been written, but you you could also say all the great Christmas songs have been written, and then along comes yours, and yours is great, <laughs> right? Well, well, thank you. Um, that was one of my biggest challenges in my life for like fifteen years. I thought one day because there are three three particular Christmas songs that I adore. Um, so of course, White Christmas, have yourself a merry little Christmas, and um, uh, a one, it's the most wonderful time of the year by Andy Williams. I think I like his version. Oh, there's a brilliant version by uh, not Aaron Neville. Um, 
who's the guy that sang Beauty and the Beast with Celine Dion? Is it James Ingram? Yeah, I think there's. A, I think it's James Ingram did a version of Most Wonderful Time of the Year. Look it up. I mean, again, it was an accident because I had decided to do a Christmas song, but I've always wanted also always wanted to write a song about London because I thought here we've got all these um, places in song, American songs especially, of places I've never even heard of. Galveston, you know, um, Amarillo, San Jose, etc. And uh, of course, New York, San Francisco, uh, etc. And I was thinking, there's barely a song about London. I love this city. And there is so much to write about in this city. Lyrically, that opens up an interesting creative outlet for you and so and i thought i wanted to do something that was sort of emanated from the standards of of, you know old school standards if you like i mean standards is a weird word jazz standards i mean a lot of those a lot of songs what they call jazz standards actually came out of musicals or films and have just become part of the music backdrop. Um, you know, you, you, you're my funny Valentine's or, or I've got you under my skin or fly me to the moon or whatever it is, you know. I got together with a, a friend of mine who's a piano player and jazz singer at the Savoy Hotel in London, John Nicholl. Beautiful voice, by the way. Sort of cross between... Michael Bublé and and Harry Connick Jr. and he's he's played in there to some really interesting people. Paul McCartney was in there. Tom Jones was in there. Just a few really good people been in there. They're always they're always communicate with him. Someone one of them gave him a fifty pound tip. <laughs> but starting point was with John because I just felt that was where I wanted it to be. You know, I didn't want to do a big Christmas pop song. And um, and then we sort of combined the idea of the Christmas song with the idea of doing a song about London, and then suddenly there we were. Um, and again, just digging deep, chucking ideas around, throwing it in the washing machine, spinning it around, um, seeing what comes out, and stumbling often. You just stumble on stuff. Too shy, we stumbled on. I don't know about Never Any Story because it was written by Georgia Moroda and I've never really talked to him about how his writing process came about with that song. Um, but uh, I imagine that he worked quite hard on it. Well, I think this is the best new Christmas song since Fairy Tale of New York uh, by the Pogues in the late 80s. Are you a fan of that one? Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. That is wonderful. This is that is. I'm sorry to say it. That is that is music to my ears. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's hard to add to the canon. I, I was talking to someone who's a classical musician, and she was saying all the great classical pieces have been written. That's a huge challenge for me. Um, and this Christmas song, to me, it's an immediate classic. I mean, it really is so so well done. Oh, I can't wait. I would love it to be successful, and then the eight the eight music pub major music publishers that didn't turn it down, but they didn't do anything. I, I I've been to see um, 
major music publishers. I've got all their email replies, and I shall frame them. <laughs> <laughs> I really look forward to that. I yeah. swear, I really do. You <laughs> seem like a guy who does not get discouraged. You seem like somebody who is, again, maybe the Sagittarian in you, uh, is optimistic. Are you kidding? I'm the guy who got pulled aside in the EMI building three weeks before Too Shy was released by one of the corporates in the suits who said to me, he said, in a very knowing, a very, what's the word I'm looking for, um, uh, authoritative way. He goes, you know, he goes, look, your first single, Too Shy, it won't be a hit, but it'll get you noticed. What we're really looking at is single number two, single two. He's giving me the whole kind of marketing spiel. And I remember spending that Christmas feeling slightly disappointed that our single that was coming out, on, our first single on January the 5th, wasn't going to be a hit, uh, you know. And then, of course, he couldn't have been more wrong. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it's a real thrill to prove you know, to prove, I mean, look, come on, we all know the stories. What, how many, how many book publishers turned down Harry Potter? How many record companies turned down the Beatles? You know, it goes on, it goes on. Are you by nature an optimistic person? Yeah, I'd say so. But I think you can help that optimism, you know. And I think when you're younger, it's easy to be optimistic. But certainly, you know, you've got to help yourself to be I mean, I'm going to be really unrock and roll and boring now, but, you know, it's a known fact. If you exercise, if you can, if you have the time, it releases endorphins. It makes you feel good. And I I went swimming today. I did 30 lengths at um, my gym. And I actually listen to music while I'm swimming, so I get double endorphins. <laughs> I've got, like, these waterproof earphone things. And... um it just feels so nice. So, you know, things like that help. Obviously, you know, all the rest, all the boring stuff. You know, I, it'd be so cool if I could sit here and say um, uh, sex, drugs and rock and roll. But, hey, you know, I've got to be realistic at my age. It's eat well, it's sleep well. Do good things, you know. Make memories. Um, quality time, very important. And so in managing your life, I think you can help to fuel optimism. And you've always been a, a pretty physical guy. And so it seems like you've always sort of used exercise and fitness to sort of supplement the optimism you're talking about. Uh, well, it's a constant battle, isn't it? Come on for all of us. Yeah. You know, I love my food. Uh, <laughs> I like my puddings. <laughs> I like my pies. Um, and I, look, come on, you, I meet, you know, I mean, you meet people over years and women, especially, you know, I'm dieting, I've got a wedding, uh, or I'm dieting cause I'm going on holiday and I'm going to be wearing, you know, speedos or whatever, you know, whatever that kind of pressure that people talk about. I've got that constantly because every weekend I'm going somewhere, uh, usually, and I'm going to be looked at. It's all about constant scrutinism. It is a pressure. And I'd love to be one of those guys that, you know, let's say Keith Richards, you know, where <laughs> he looks like he doesn't give a flying hoot. You know, that's right. <laughs> um, but no, that's not me. And so, and also, 
I don't know, people expect. They want me to be, you know, they remember me from 35 years ago. And I, you know, I, I want to, I want to try to please them, really. I know well, that sounds really cheesy, but... No, it doesn't. And, and I, part of that, Lamal, is that people look at you as a kind of mirror to themselves. And so, you know, you looking good and, and being healthy, uh, I think is actually kind of inspiring for people who grew up with you who are getting older as well. There's another thing, too. I mean, over the years, I've seen people, you know, I've seen people die. Right. I've died from drugs or you know got into the wrong things and went to prison um got into depression i mean i've lived you know i could write some stuff in my book believe me and these are all big red flags on my journey and you take notice of them if you're sensible you know i didn't want to be um amy winehouse or like some of the others Oh, it looks so cool when you're in the tabloids and they find you, um, you know, <laughs> but that was never me. And the, there's two reasons. Uh, when I was 17, when I was 18, 19, I worked in a nightclub bar uh, till 3 a.m. And the stuff I used to see, <laughs> it was enough to put me off alcohol for the rest of my life. Really? And don't get me wrong. I, oh, yeah. Yeah, fights, vomiting, helplessness, carted off in ambulances, same with drugs. And so all these big red flags have sort of kept me vaguely sensible. And don't get me wrong, I like a glass of wine, I like a beer, I like a cocktail, but I, I would never go crazy. I like to try and stay in control to a certain extent. And that's kind of what's guided me. And if I've survived and survived well to this point, that's part of the reason why. But, you know, some people see those things and they don't they don't get the same information. It's not instructive. They still barrel head first into the hedonism. Yes, yes. And I I have felt for them. I feel for them. You know. No, I don't want to get like, you know, too, too, too. Um, philosophical i mean everybody has their own journey everybody's got to grow up their own way find their own path but um that was my path you know and uh, i'm i'm pleased with it i'm pleased with it i you know <laughs> there's so many temptations aren't there that we could all just go crazy it's sugar it's food, it's smoking, it's alcohol, it's drugs, it's gambling. And it's fun to do all of those things, but do it in moderation. Yeah. And be sensible. That would That's my motto. You didn't even list sex, Lamal. You, you, you passed right over sex. <laughs> <laughs> Silly me. What happened there? I should have been a, well, you know why? It was a foregone conclusion. <laughs> 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 what are the chances that you will pen an autobiography? I don't know. You know, one side of me wants to tell all. I think I've got a lot to tell. Um, another side of me says, no one gives a shit. Am I allowed to swear on this program? Of course, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, part of me says no one gives a fuck, you know. Um, 
and who do you think you are? You know, it's arrogant to think you write a book and anyone would be interested in it. Another side of me is scared of putting a lot of effort into it and then it maybe it doesn't get published. Right. Um, uh, but ultimately, um, I have enjoyed other people's books and I don't know, it'd be kind of a nice legacy to leave behind as well as the music, you know, tell it like it is. Yeah. And maybe try to, you know, those wonderful old expressions, put a wise head on young shoulders. I think a book should have lessons and it should be entertaining. It should have optimism and it should have despair. I mean, yeah, I, I've always felt that I should write a book from a position of strength rather than doing it because there's absolutely nothing else going on in my life and okay, I'll do the book. I'd rather it be that I'm doing really well and I'm feeling great. Okay, I'll, now I'll do the book. So let, let's see what happens over the next five years. I don't want to do, I wouldn't be one of these like modern day celebrities who does my life story at 30 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wondered about that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's like a life only half lived. Exactly, exactly. So, no, I I think I'm approaching the age where, you know, people might be interested. So let's see what happens. You're you're such a nice guy. And I I wonder for you, have you maintained friendships in this business over the course of the last 35 years? Has that been difficult to do? Or have you found that new friendships are... Are, like you were saying, you were on that tour with Katrina and the Waves and Men Without Hats. I mean, are, are first of all, are you making new friendships and are you able to sort of continue to feed the old ones? It's an illusion that um, all music artists would be close friends. Everyone thinks, oh, all those actors that work together. And I've seen it in the acting world. I've seen interviews where people say, well, we worked on a film together and we were very close and then we haven't spoke for 20 years. <laughs> sometimes you work, some, so no, but sometimes you work very close with people in an office for a job for six months or a year and you, you have lunch every day and sometimes you go to something at the weekend and then you move on and life, life moves on. So, um, and my life's no different. I've had um, some great bonds along the way if you like, um, but, and I've worked with, you know, every single, almost every single 80s artist going, and I've met so many. And when you get together in a, an environment, say of a festival or something like that, uh, you know, there's wonderful moments where, like when I toured America's with ABC, and I love them as a band. And there were a few times when I was sat with Martin eating, you know, the singer Martin Fry. Right. Or we, or we were sharing a taxi from the airport or whatever it was. And of course, those, those moments are wonderful. But when they're over, they're over. You know, occasionally there's a WhatsApp or... Um, but friendships in the in show business tend to be more like acquaintances or good acquaintances. Do you know what I mean? And we're moving around the world. I mean, you know, uh, so it does make it difficult. Yeah, and I wonder, so your friendships that you've maintained are probably those that aren't in the business. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And people come and go in your life. It's just a natural, you know, it's part of the natural course of things. 
um, and I've learned not take it personally. Sometimes you don't hear from people in a while that you've been close to because, you know, they've got stuff going on or they've moved away or they've gone to another country or whatever it is. Yeah. And isn't it sort of natural, Lamal, that like, I know social media kind of, we can keep tabs on people, but isn't it sort of natural that people kind of come and go? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So don't get hung up on it. Right. You know. Don't fight it. Let them go. Yeah. And usually it comes around again. And then you, you know, you share stuff, get together, reminisce, um, which is always nice, of course. But yeah, life's one big adventure. And it's always fun and exciting to meet new people. Um, I think that's what keeps everybody going, really. Are you a sentimental person? Yes, I am. <laughs> I had to think about that, but then I thought, yeah, I am sentimental, absolutely. Yeah. I'm sentimental, I'm old school, I'm a bit old-fashioned. Trying to embrace the new, trying to keep down with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Are you? How do you see the holiday season like Christmas? Do you still see it with the same sense of wonder that you did you know, when you were younger, or does it mean more to you now? Has it has it changed in terms of perspective? Well, it's a different perspective, of course. I mean, when we were kids, um, it was exciting getting the the tree out and dressing it with the family. And then the most exciting thing was, of course, what were the presents? Mainly games, you know, Monopoly. Because I had two brothers and a sister, so... You know, we were always playing games. We had a snooker table or what you call pool in America. We had um, a darts board. We had table tennis. And that was lovely, having siblings to do that with. Nowadays, what excites me are the Christmas lights around London. And I know all the good ones. (laughs) Um, I should do a walking tour of them because I love them. There's the obvious ones, and then there's the not-so-obvious ones, and it's the not-so-obvious ones that are great when you find them. Um, I always like to go to Fortnum & Mason's at Christmas, which is a, a really great department store, and they always do the most fantastic stuff at Christmas. And it's not expensive, but it's a little more expensive than your regular stuff, but it's special, and it, if you buy those as a gift for anybody... You know, they're mince pies or... Do you do mince pies in the States? We, we don't, typically, no. Oh, right. Okay. So that's a big thing in the UK, mince pies at Christmas. They are divine. It's got, like, sweet mince inside, wrapped in pastry. They're, they're small. They're really great with fresh cream. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, you can get great mince pies from Fortnum. So I, I, usually around the 20. 21st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, uh, there's a beautiful cafe in Fortnum's. Not expensive. You can get a, a meal for like £13. But you have to book. You've got to book in advance. And it's called the Gallery Restaurant. It just overlooks the, the Christmas shopping floor. And the vibe um, is so, it's, a, it's, it's an amazing atmosphere. I love to do that every Christmas. We have um, we have a big Christmas market in Hyde Park, and everybody likes to go to that, so that's fun. And uh, of course, everybody there's a few ice rinks, and yeah, and the energy. I love the energy. I'm not particularly religious, um, but I do like 
I do like what churches represent in terms of a a I like the architecture, of course. I like the idea that it brings people together and everybody feels kinder at Christmas for some reason. I always think, why can't we be like this the rest of the year? I know. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's true. Uh, It does bring out the, the loveliness in people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's something to look forward to, isn't it? That alone is is like one of the most valuable things. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, by the way, I'm, now that I know how much you love Motown, I'm thinking about your discography and I'm trying to hear, and I now I can do it. I can reverse engineer and hear your love of Motown in, in your music. It's interesting to think about that. You see, with Motown, it was all about songs, the hooks, uh, yeah. the counter melodies the backing vocals, the great uh, construction of a song and production and presenting shade, uh, contrast, light and shade, you know. They they were really so good. And last year on the tour, I delayed my trip back to the UK. The last, the last show was in Detroit, so I went to the Hitsville Museum, the Motown Museum. And uh, I did a tour and took photographs outside, of course, for social media. It was just a thrill to go to that room where all those amazing things happened. Uh, and I'll, if I'm there again, I'll probably go back again. I would, I could have spent easily spent more time there. How hard is it for you when you're on stage to? You have this music that you're sitting on, which is going to be released um, at one point. You must be dying to share those songs, Lamar. I am. I'm nervous that you know anyone would be interested in them. Um, come on, let's be honest. Um, we can't we can't lie now. Everybody can just Wikipedia you, and they know that I'm 61 years old in December. And there's this side of me that thinks, who is going to be interested in music from a 61 year old? So I'm very nervous, and uh, I won't say very nervous. I'm I'm not taking anything for granted. I'm not expecting too much i'm hopeful i'm optimistic it's a thrill for me to start i'm already planning the video for the next single cool i have another song coming up on valentine's day actually um but that's another story and we can talk about that then followed by an ep i've got and it's all all the music's ready i'm very excited planning everything um and I'm just going to enjoy it, the process for what it is, and see what happens. Uh, but I guess because I'm older, I'm just a little bit more guarded about, you know, expecting too much and then getting that huge disappointment. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah, I do. So, guard, so guarded optimism. <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of your book. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well... Mark Holman from Soft Cell called his book Tainted Life. Yeah. So, you know, what's mine? It's got to be a pun on too shy or never ending story, really, hasn't it? Not sure. Not sure. It's, it's, it's a tricky one just to get, to get the balance right or go completely off piece and, and call it something else. I don't know. We'll see. Well, I can tell you, I'm very excited to hear the new music. And I would hope 
And I'd like to extend the invitation to you that uh, around Valentine's Day, we chat again. You come back on the show. Uh, I'd be delighted to. And, you know, it's great to chat to people like you who are excited about my music. That is fucking great. And uh, I hope I don't keep disappointing you. And I, I need to hear what you said to me in a recording so I can play it to my two songwriters of London for Christmas, my co-writers, because it means such a lot to us. We've all believed in this song. And then, you know, I've got all the big publishers kind of going, yeah, it's all right, but not really offering it to pick it up or try to place it with anybody. Um, and so, because your opinion is, how can I put it? It's objective. It's right. from a perspective of, you know, it's, it's, it's someone who's got no vested interest, is not trying to sign it, doesn't have to judge it. It's just a person appreciating music for music's sake. And you said exactly how I feel. You know, you have no idea what it meant to me to hear somebody tell me what I thought, because I thought it's very hard subject to tackle. And I think we pulled it off. I hope we pulled it off, but let's put it out there and see what people say. And you fucking said it. It's like, it's a punch in the air moment. It's fantastic. Well, Lamal, I got to tell you, man, I have always wanted to talk to you and I, I've enjoyed this immensely and I, I want to do it again. Well, Alex, I'll, it's been brilliant. Hey, you're a lovely guy. Th thank you for your time. I appreciate you staying up late and chatting with me. No, it's no problem. It's not that late. Um, I do sometimes stay up to 1, 1 a.m. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not 10 p.m. yet. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're fine then. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm the other side of midnight still, so I'm okay. You're okay. Uh, Lamar, keep up the great work. It's very inspiring. All right. Lovely, Alex. Really, really enjoyed talking to you. And thanks for your support. I had to think fast on that fog thing. For a split second, I thought about explaining the principles of solar radiation, weather-based advection, and infrared cooling. But you know what? That was the beginning of the interview. That was no way to get things started, so, I don't know, I just went with the close-to-the-ocean explanation. Come on, you would have done the same thing. Anyway, lovely guy, that Lamal. Please visit him online at lamal.com. I'm going to spell it L-I-M-A-H-L dot com. And please visit me at alexgreenonline.com. I'm not going to spell that. Uh, or follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor or on Instagram at Ember's Podcast or just email me, editor at stereoembersmagazine.com. Or do all four if you have the time. I love to be visited on all mediums. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. We're free. We always will be. And all we ask in return is a few thousand dollars a month to keep it that way. I'm kidding. A few hundred. I'm kidding. Come on. Just leave us a rating, tell all your friends, and we're even. Sound fair? All right. Let's close the show with a Lamal classic. This is Never Ending Story. Enjoy it. Thank you, as always, for listening. And I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Turn around. Look at what you see.